0: All right. Hello and welcome to Transition Tea, the podcast dedicated to demystifying the world of healthcare transition and activation planning. I'm your host, Kelly Usman, President and CEO of Yellow Brick Consulting. And today I'm honored to have Dr. Allison Ong joining us. So Allison, welcome to the podcast. And can you provide our listeners with a brief background of your, um, of your background?
1: Hi, Kelly. Thank you for having me. I am from Loma Linda University Medical Center. I am the Assistant Vice President of Clinical Operations and Space Planning. Um, and have had the privilege of working with you and your team on a million square foot 17-story building just this uh, just wrapped up this fall.
0: Well, wonderful. Um, so today we are drinking dark chocolate orange tea. And tell us why this is special to you.
1: So um, I thought this was a fantastic tea selection. Um, so here in Loma Linda or Redlands, citrus is our everything. We are completely surrounded by um, particularly orange trees. Um, and actually in my backyard, I think I have about 15 or uh, citrus trees. So I thought this was perfect. Um, and of course, the, the chocolate I love. I think the entire Yellow Brick team is fully aware of my love for <laughs> chocolate. So it's so great.
0: Well, wonderful. So, listeners, grab a cup and join us, and we'll be sipping through um, this episode. So, um, tell us about your first job in healthcare and what led you into a career in healthcare.
1: So, I I grew up in healthcare, really, uh, as a little kid. My, my mom was a dental assistant. My dad was an optician, and I was just constantly surrounded by it. my whole family. Um, my my uncle had a board of care and that really sort of inspired my drive to, to care for people and to be able to have an impact in a way that was meaningful to others. Um, and then my, my adult professional career, I started as a bedside nurse um, in a medical ICU here at Long Melinda and have fallen in love with the organization
0: and wouldn't
1: dream of being anywhere else.
0: Wonderful. Um, so tell us how you got into design and transition and um, your your role as the director for the Campus Transformation Project.
1: Yeah, so it's, I think it's the most wild ride. I started off <laughs> my leadership career in uh, a position at Loma Linda, which was new at the time, called a nurse leadership residency. So it's a two-year program that was designed for people who were interested in learning about leadership. Um, what it meant to be a leader, how to be a leader, learned so much about the whole system and just sort of system level thinking. I moved into various roles in the organization and they felt that my skill set would best suit the needs of the transition and, and I couldn't be a locator person.
0: Well, we really enjoyed working with you. So, and tell us, how did your your background in nursing and your career in nursing prepare you for this role
1: yeah i think there's two major parts of my job that really impacted um, my ability to do this role in transition uh, first of which was being a clinician right so understanding that the primary function of what we're trying to do here is figure out what physical space um, needs are there to care for patients so that's always a forefront item Um, And what are some of the the logistics? And who do you reach out to? Who are the people who do the work? Uh, So that was a really helpful part of of my career that informed and helped guided my role within uh, the transition and activation of the new hospital. The other thing was my role in patient placement um, that I had uh, previous to my role in the new hospital project which was you know, how do you look at the global perspective of movement of patients, of quality metrics, and how, do, how does structure and process impact outcome? Um, so all of that together I thought was really helpful in helping me in this role.
0: And so now you've finished the project and you have transitioned to a new role. So tell us about that role.
1: I am now over, I uh, still have clinical uh, operations, which is predominantly um, patient placement and transfer center or house supervisors. That continues to report to me, but I'm also responsible for space management now. And space management at Loma Linda is not just about, you know, which office um, should should people be placed in, but it's also about opening new departments. So especially now, as we're looking into uh, our covid surge Um, yet again part of my responsibility is working with the various teams because you know no department can open with one department or one function not just nursing pharmacy and lab and respiratory and you know just this slew and variety of services so my background from transition planning and knowing how to open Always oh, was like 50 departments certainly helps in then opening some of these smaller departments that are, yes, geared towards a surge situation, um, but also making sure that, you know, we're on the right track and we can still care for our patients safely. We still have all of the resources and systems in place that we need to, to care for this influx of
0: patients. You, you talked about um, learning about the pharmacy and everything that it takes and I know when I did the transition, it was, um, I had a huge appreciation of the facilities team and what they did. So um, what was your biggest uh, either aha or lesson learned or something that you you just had no idea about um, from a hospital perspective?
1: Oh, gosh, we'd be here all day for me to list all of that. Um, <laughs> but I think that the overarching sentiment <clears throat> is there's not a single department in the organization that isn't critical to providing care for patients. Uh, One of the things that our CEO Trevor Wright says is, you know, there's two types of people in the organization. There are people who directly care for patients, and then there's those of us who care for those people. Um, And I, I think about the various systems. You think about facilities, you think about EBS, you think about pharmacy and radiology, And one of the groups that I was so grateful to have learned about were the people behind the scenes also at billing and at our health information management team, making sure that all of our records are are set. Our IAS security team, IAS is such a huge component of what we do. And there's, again, like not a single department that isn't critical to making sure that what we're doing is optimal.
0: Absolutely. So um, there's probably a lot of skills and, um, you know, background uh, classes and courses and things, but was there anything that, you know, when you were either in school or learning, you're like, I'm never going to use this. And, um, you know, it was just super or super difficult to learn. I know for me, statistics was one of them, but there's a particular skill that you're so glad that you studied and you learned and has been helpful for you in, in this role?
1: Uh, it's funny that you mentioned statistics because I would actually say it would be statistics.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who likes statistics? Um,
1: yeah, well, and just the utilization of data, right? So how do we make data-driven decisions on our, our processes? What are the outcomes that we're going for and what does that data say? Oftentimes, you know, healthcare is driven by tradition. And sometimes that's great. There is a place for tradition. Um, you know, In evidence-based practice, we talk about the, the experience of the clinicians being just as important part of, of evidence-based practice as the data is. You know, that's, that is in itself a data point. Um, so I, I do sort of laugh that, yes, as much as uh, I think my statistics teacher will be very proud for me to say that statistics is what I'm really glad uh, or what I didn't realize um, would be as helpful for me today. But to understand, um, you know, how to take a look at data. When is it alerting? When is it not alerting? You know, how do we know we're making progress? Uh, yeah, she, she'd be super proud.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I went to school 100 years ago and you feel the same way. I feel that that pain. Um, So transition and activation includes a lot of planning. And I know when I started, um, I had no idea what I was doing. And I thought about the patient move. And we're going to take all of these patients and move across the street and open up this new hospital uh, and learned that there's so many different aspects of transition. So um, what was your favorite you know, piece or component or part of transition that you really just enjoyed and would love to do again.
1: Move day, for sure, without a shadow <laughs> of a doubt. Um, I think that there's there's something special about, even though it's complex and it's, it's nerve-wracking because you have some really sick patients that you're trying to move and you're trying to do this safely and you know, you get a lot of concerns from other various clinicians and you know that it comes from a great place because they they genuinely care about their patient. Um, but what I love about it is this unified focus on what we know is successful, which or what the definition of success is, which is we're going to move these patients in a timely manner. And our goal is that everyone is safe. And I think the underlying threads to that is how do we, what what made me happy about it is working towards a common goal with what felt like thousands of people, I'm sure it was, um, thousands of people on move day and to then celebrate that uh, after it was done, um, to know that not a single patient was harmed, everyone made it safely. And to to hear and, and to see the the footage of our patients also happy to have moved into this beautiful building, uh, I think if if I could do that over and over again, I would.
0: <laughs> well, we started your project pre pandemic and um, had a big summit with all of the a kickoff summit with the leadership team. There was a hundred or so people where we got together and learned the background and then the pandemic happened and we completely switched how we were, um, you know, approaching the project. So um, move day, uh, you know, we started doing that planning and didn't have that many COVID patients, but you moved in the middle of the pandemic. What, um, what changes, or, you know, what kind of advice do you have for people who are moving during the pandemic? Oh, that's
1: you know we we moved in the middle of um, a surge uh, in COVID mm-hmm. cases, which was not uh, not what I was hoping for <laughs> when I first started this project. Um, but I think that you know as a nurse, you're part of the responsibility within nursing is to be flexible um, and to have a lot of of backup plans and. To not take any of those plans um, for granted, or the opportunity to have backup plans for granted. Uh, one of the yes. things that my preceptors, when I was a bedside nurse, always said to me is, "If you're prepared for it, it's not going uh, so mm-hmm. to happen. So be prepared, have a plan A through Z, uh, and you'll be just fine." And I think that for people who are are having to go through transition during a pandemic, um, and I want to answer this in two ways. There's the workflow planning part of it, and then there's the actual move day part of it. But the workflow planning during a pandemic, um, it's hard because other people have the regular jobs to do, right? It's not a one day event. Move day is a one day event, really. Um, but when talking about workflows and planning through that. You know, thinking about um, and being mindful as, as the leader of this project that, you know, they're, they're busy also with, with the day-to-day work and being conscientious and figuring out, you know, how can I cut this into even smaller bite-sized pieces so that they're not overwhelmed, but we're still making progress and accomplish what we need to.
0: Um,
1: so I would say that on, on the workflow side. On the move day side, uh, again having lots of plans for from a respiratory perspective, particularly because this is, you know, respiratory disease, um, having a lot of lot of backup. Uh, we actually our our executive director for respiratory, she elicited the support from the school, um, the respiratory care school, to say, hey, can you bring students just to have extra hands. Um, and there were so many people who were willing to help. It was, you know, an extra day of work, but they were so, so, so willing. Um, one, I think it was an exciting time, right? It's a historic moment for us, and it will be a historic moment for any hospital that does this, um, but also because they genuinely cared about the success of their patients and, and how how smooth that transition would be. Oh, wonderful.
0: It was um certainly a highlight of our team's day and 300 plus patients um, was, I think is overwhelming for anybody with or without the pandemic. So kudos to you and, and your amazing team. So I have one final question for you. So if you could go back and provide advice to somebody who um, would like to get into this field, what type of advice would you give to that person in terms of either career progression um, experiences that you have found to be invaluable, but might have been painful at the time um, or whatever it is that you'd like to share.
1: Yeah, I think um, certainly really strong project management skills is important. I was very fortunate to have what I believe to be the best project managers on my team um, ever to have like existed. They were phenomenal and they're, their eagerness to to learn um so all of my project managers were non-clinicians um so i i would say that um certainly there is a place for non-clinicians within the transition and activation team um so whether you're a clinician or not having those strong project management skills um but also i think developing relationships being open to understanding you know, how does your department function and how how do you get to a point where we sort of work through some of the barriers and being creative about how to work through some of the barriers? I think that was, you know, one of the things that as I reflect on on the team that I had, they were phenomenal at saying like, hey, here's the whole picture. And the way that they communicated um, was was also... I think what helps people trust them.
0: Um, I think
1: trust is a really big part in the success in, in a job like these is people have to trust you. Uh, and I think also being open-minded to how, how can other departments um, work together a little bit better, or how can how can various departments come together and gain um, sort of like synergy and the the efficiencies of their work? How can we sort of do this together? Um, I think that there's, there's just so much um, work when it comes to transition activation. And in some ways you sort of have to be uh, global and just very open to learning about different departments, learning about um, what your goal is, being able to clearly articulate here's what's happening, here's where we have to go, here's why, and here's how I'm going to help you along along the way as a project manager. Um, I think that that attitude is um, particularly helpful because when you're in these roles during transition and activation, like you're not the department head, very likely, of these departments that are moving, right? <laughs> you're having to influence other department heads, frequently ones who... Um, outrank you for a lack of a better term. Um, and you're having to convince them that despite their crazy schedule, um, this is what we have to do as an organization. Um, so I I have learned um, a lot from my project managers that, that I had on, on our project. And they, uh, I think, are the epitome of, of how to get into transition planning <laughs> and, and sort of this job. But they were eager, they were open to learning anything and everything. They were phenomenal communicators um, and they were just absolute go-getters. I I think for myself as a clinician getting into transition and activation, I think uh, having that global perspective and having a really good relationship with a multitude of departments and then having the respect for all of them that each of what they do is important and value to the organization um, because everyone wants to to know that you're going to support them um i i know i want mm-hmm. that as a department head and other department heads want that as well they want they everyone wants to do a good job so how can we as, as part of an organization help those others be um, successful in whatever their their role and responsibility is
0: i think you as a leader have excellent communication skills and Uh, the resilience that you had with your team and support of your team, I think was certainly a a key to your success. So uh, congratulations on that. So um, thank you you so much. Uh, We're going to do something a little bit fun here. I have rapid fire for you. So summer or winter? Winter. Favorite city in the United States besides the one that you live in? Boston. Uh, how about a nickname that your parents used uh, as a child that you may still be called?
1: Uh, it's a Filipino term for child, which is anak.
0: Oh, I did not know that. This one, I, I think I know the answer. Heels or flats? Oh, heels. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite comfort food besides chocolate?
1: Um, ooh. Uh, wow, well, I don't know why that's telling me, because there's so many foods going through my mind. Um, the first thing that came through my mind is a cinnamon roll, largely because that's what I'm craving at the moment.
0: <laughs> Yummy. Yeah, I mean, um, do you think it's wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: um, is double dipping ever acceptable at a party? No. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and uh, how about you're you're involved in the Rose Parade? So, do you have a favorite float of all time? Oh,
1: um, I I don't. Um, I I think that every year I am blown away by what they're able to do. Uh, I I will say I probably should say that it was the 1996. Dr. Pepper float that should be my favorite because that is actually the float that I wrote on and I that is when I fell in love with the rose prey. so I think on an official answer level we'll say the 1996 Dr. Pepper float.
0: (laughs) Wonderful I'm gonna have to look it up because I don't remember that one but I do love the rose prey. so (laughs) thank you Allison for your time today and if listeners want to connect with you um do you have a LinkedIn profile you can share?
1: I do. Just look me up, Alison Ong, and I am more than happy to connect.
0: Well, wonderful. Well, that'll do it for our, our episode on transition tea. And I loved this chocolate orange tea. I wasn't sure what I was going to think, but it's very delicious. Uh, on our next episode, we're going to be joined by another healthcare leader to chat over a couple of best practices pouring over insights to um, transition and activation expertise. So thank you for listening. And if you want to subscribe and hear more conversations like this one, you can subscribe to Transition Tea wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to see any live videos of our recordings, you can follow us on our Yellow Brick YouTube channel. So cheers and thank you for coming today, Alison.